Let us not be ashamed to speak what we shame not to think. Michel de Montaigne In a realm abound with fragility and fabrication, truth is forced underground. We must, as sentinels do, provide sanctuary to the marketplace of ideas. And so, let us prepare to proclaim boldly and contend forthrightly before the court. This is Candor and Counter. Hey guys, welcome to Candor and Counter. I'm Chris. I'm David. I'm Sean. And welcome back this week. We're going to start a new topic. We're really ready. We love this part. It's an invigorating time for us. We all get hyped around the time when we get to pull a new one. And Sean's back in town. All three of us are together. And we're just psyched up. Yeah, the whole week leading up to the uh, Candor episode is... Always looking forward to it. Yeah, all right? Forward to it. Ready to dig in. Just like energized the whole time, waiting for a topic. It's a little bit like Christmas morning. It's like you just don't know the anticipation yeah. behind it. And there's a little bit of nerves there too because you just don't know where it's going to go. Is it going to pan out? Is it not? But it's funny the way we love doing this journey together. So we're going to pull another one today. David's going to pull for us. Interesting. All right, we can definitely do something with this. Persuasive versus divisive discourse. Persuasive versus divisive discourse. Was it divisive? Yeah. Okay. Is there a user? I yeah. mean, a, a name? Yeah. Rick V, I said. Oh, okay. Yeah, Ricky V. Yeah. Thank you for that. So this is a broad. Yeah, this is. There's this, a broad range here. It's almost in our name, like maybe not in our name, but it's almost in our mission statement. You know what I mean? What is divisive discourse? Divisive means dividing. Like right. you, you challenge it's, ideas. It's a communication or language that drives a wedge between people. Say, for example, I, I have the opinion that the current state of the communic not communication the current state of discourse in this country over race is a divisive conversation right i believe that when we left the majority of racism behind after the um now this is getting into the topic of racism but i mean you got to sort of get into these weeds here because we have to talk about divisive talk right I think whenever we left most racism behind after the healing from the civil rights movement, when it came back up again, this is common discussion in uh, conservative circles, is that when it came back up in the late 2000s and the last decade, there was no, there wasn't a need for it. You know, kind of like reopened old wounds. Yeah, I mean, most people seem to have agreed that discrimination was precipitously dropping since the civil rights movement. Yeah. And it had continued that trend. And so when you brought it out in the forefront and people started accusing other people of racism, that which started in the past decade or so. When that started up, people felt like that was divisive talk because there was no reason. It was already, I mean, if you charted it out, it was already on the way to zero point. It was on the way to everyone being treated equally. Again, I say it in that way because I don't, I acknowledge the fact that racism isn't fully erased. And I don't think that it ever will be because people are broken human beings. And you can't erase evil from the face of the planet. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But the, the systems that were in place, not the individual racism, the systems that were in place that caused or that reinforced racism were, were gone. And I think that after those disappeared, the culture began to heal. 
itself. So what's what's persuasive then? Because I mean, that's that's what I'm looking up. Because the question poses it in a way where it seems like it would be the opposite, but persuasive doesn't sound like like the opposite of divisive. Yeah. Yeah, you would think if you're trying to say, maybe they're not. Maybe Rick isn't comparing them. Maybe he's saying persuasive. Did he say or or what did he versus say? versus? Well, so he is definitely putting them together. But it's the in, I think the comparison is the intent behind the language. That's what he's getting at. Like the intent behind the communication. You'd be right on the money. So divisive discourse. To be divisive discourse requires the intent of dividing or just happens to always incite it. I think it's more of a, it's, it's challenging the fundamental of an ideal so that that was the intent of the discourse. Yeah. Right. Whereas persuasive is you can use the same, you can share the same base of logic and reason and and try to give them the information to sort of come to understand you. That is persuasion. But divisive communication, it's meant to cause... Uncertainty. Yeah, that's a good way yeah. to put it. Yeah. I feel like this versus was proposed by the listener to elicit a response on divisiveness in the culture today. Yeah. I'm not trying to read too much into it, but I feel like this was posing the question so that we would pay attention in this episode to the current state of discourse in the country, which is largely considered to be divisive. I mean, that discussion even goes all the way up to social media and algorithms and everything. Yeah, I agree. Like, I've never heard of either of them before, but I can definitely already see how it plays into modern culture. Like, it was one of the first things that came to mind, you know? I think that's just a a thing that's common. Like, if you talk about anything, you think about how it applies to any current day events. That's fair. I think that's true. But in the political circles that I wander around in, there is a a focus on the language shift of the left over the last decade or two. I'm going to say we as a encompassing general term for the right. I'm going to speak slowly here because I want to make sure I'm not overstepping a little bit. You were bit. right, by the way. On divisiveness? Yeah. It's with the intent to anger people. Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably an overused metaphor, but they say driving a wedge. We tend to think that this stuff happens from the bottom up. Sometimes it's discussed as if it happens from the bottom up. But my opinion is a lot of this is planned and executed. And I don't want that to sound conspiracy theorist, (laughs) but here's the thing. I feel like the public has become willing enough to be manipulated. Yeah. Do doing a lot. Those wedges are not accidental. Doing a lot of parroting kind of thing. Yes. And yeah, exactly. Oh Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. If you go, just go find a headline and then Google oh, it, yeah. and then ten other articles are going to share the exact same headline, and it's just the messaging is so unified, especially the divisive messaging and the ability to create sensational headlines. Have you guys ever? This would be an interesting rabbit hole for you guys one day, and maybe we'll do it over this research. I don't know. It's so strange to me. Like, I know there are people out there that are messed up, but like creating discourse for the purpose of discourse just doesn't make sense to me. You might want to restate that because you said discourse. Creating divisive discourse? Yeah. 
okay. creating a discourse make, is just making people making people angry just to make people angry just doesn't make sense to me. Okay, so or upset or unfriendly. So you don't see the purpose, is that what you mean? Yeah. Oh, there's definitely a purpose. So the purpose is planned. The purpose is I mean it's it separates people. I understand that. It's intentional. And the reason it's intentional is because it reaches a certain goal. So this tension that's been created, not only has it been profitable, we're just going to take an example, right? Let's say Trump. And I'm, I'm not saying anything about him whatsoever. I'm only saying if you objectively view the way that his words were intentionally taken out of context or his headlines were intentionally sensationalized, whatever you can go. There's just a number of examples that I don't really, I'm not going for finding a particular example. What I'm saying is he was a cash cow for media. Okay. CNN's viewership increased fivefold under Trump's presidency. Hold on. What? Well, CNN's viewership rose fivefold while they were attacking him. Their profit, their profitability yeah. off of his headlines was extraordinary. People loved seeing him. By keeping up. him oh, yeah. under the hammer on their, t- on their shows, on their news networks, they made a ton of money. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Project Veritas. Are you familiar with Project Veritas? Not off the top of my head. I don't Project Veritas is one of the most left-wingers won't agree with me here. But he's one of the last few, in my opinion, remaining investigational journalists in this country. And Veritas means truth. Project truth. Um, But it doesn't matter what it is. Corruption. James O'Keefe runs this organization and he does real like go back in time yeah. and learn how to do undercover investigations. He puts moles in places, hidden cameras in place. He does the old school. Whoa. Yeah. He, he, I don't know how he got secret codes or hacked in. I don't know. But like he gets into like secret CNN executive (laughs) meetings and he got undercover agents to get CNN to admit to uh, propagandizing intentionally with the purpose of getting Trump out of office, pure executives in their management team admitted to it being part of their business plan. He caught them right on mic on camera admitting that they doctor headlines, leave headlines out. They propagandize their network intentionally wow and abandon journalist Journalism. Eth- ethics yeah. altogether but they did it not just solely for political purposes but also for monetary purposes after trump left when biden got into office their viewership plummeted still plummeting but all of this messaging is planned and it's planned and carried out with uniformity across across the elites of the country. And that goes for race. If you don't, if you're not familiar with George Soros, give that a look. It, he's a billionaire that was a bad man. You know anything about George? (laughs) Yeah. A little bit. He is, um, he funds, He's a billionaire, multi-billionaire, and he funds political activism projects in the yeah. United States. Yeah. He formally funds Antifa and BLM. BLM. This is all tracked financially through his organizations. I've seen it laid out clearly. All, and they give the names of all the organizations and their CEOs. and all, It's all paper trailed. It's all the way back to George Soros and his organizations. Anyway. I don't have all that in front of me right now to back that up. I would have to share that later, but his organizations that he puts millions into 
they'll go get buses and they'll travel around the country and load people on them. They tracked these. These buses were chartered and they came from other cities in the United States. And they were filled with people that were paid with paychecks to come riot. They were offloaded off the buses at the hottest points yeah, in the local yeah. in the local marches and demonstrations. Yeah, to flame the fire. To ignite the fire. They delivered, they paid construction companies to deliver pallets of bricks. What the hell? Drop them in the middle of the streets the days of the of the marches. They have pictures. All this is documented online. It is crazy. These rich, elite oligarchs use their money in emotionally manipulative ways. The way the narrative goes in the country is not an accident, in my opinion. It doesn't seem that way to me either. My roommate Cody, he talks about George Soros and, well, just a lot of, a lot of, how the divisive discourse is on purpose to push the narrative and these identity politics and all these things to drive wedges. And I mean, I haven't looked super into it, but he talks to me about it a lot. So, you know, I've picked things out and it's really hard not to see it now, sort of, if that makes sense. Cause it's like, it's like your eyes were opened. Yeah. Like you were saying, following the paper, tra- paper trail, with, you know, chartering the buses and the paychecks. And he's talked about a lot of that before. And it's pretty stunning. It's pretty stunning. Yeah. Well, we took off on a political tangent, so we're going to jump back in. (laughs) I don't know where we left off. I think we just really wanted to sort of narrow down what we meant, what our understanding is of persuasive and divisive content or language or communication. doesn't matter whatever you call it, but or he called it discourse, didn't he? Yeah. Yes. Discourse. Yeah. So I feel like persuasive discourse is going to involve, we talked about this language and reason. It's a way for people to connect and sort of debate back and forth. It's a not argumentative in the form of like angry argument, but like it's, I want to say friendly debate because the persuasive can be argumentative. Yeah. And I meant that in a sort of a way of contest. Yeah. Right. Where you, it's a normal way of absorbing information and contending with people. And that is a healthy way. I think where everyone is heard and in the end, I think where truth wins out doesn't mean that that person believes you. But I, I feel like in the history of humanity, that's the best form that we have. The most efficient. Yeah. Yeah, and truest. I mean, if you're talking persuasive, that's you explaining your own ideas, right? Rather yeah, than it, trying to poke holes in someone else's for, well, I guess, if I'm, it's divisive discourse to divide. I mean, you can still acknowledge failures in the other person's argument you can still poke holes in it but i think that the the important thing to note there is like we said earlier the intent the intent is to contend with each other and it's to come to agreements or conclusions or or even not but in the end no one has lost ground when it comes to moral standing, that's especially important, I think. Yeah. So no one is brought down in their moral standing just because, you know, they had a different perspective than the other. Like this divisive language, I think, like I said earlier, has to do with intent. I, I, I think divisive is specifically, if not mostly, the intent to drive a wedge in between parties. I don't know about parties because... I mean, parties can be an example. Yeah. But not definite. That's not the pure definition. Right. It's more of like a... Just a challenging of the idea that creates that wedge. 
like the divisive argument is the challenging of the idea and the intent is to drive a wedge. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, challenging an idea isn't inherently divisive. No, but that's, that would, I assume. Yeah. I would, I would assume that would be their main form. Is but to you're be right. Like, divisiveness you, yeah. inv- involves planning. Yeah. Right. You're saying my intent is to segregate you for this thing that you think. Right. For this thing that whatever behavior, thought, belief, faith, whatever you have, it's, it's, I keep nodding. I forget that you need to be separate. (laughs) I need to be vocal. (laughs) Divisive language says this person over here is insert label. That's the purpose of divisive language. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it ends up that way all the time. This person is racist. This person is a homophobe. This person is a bigot. You know, this person is a extremist. This person is, you know what I'm saying? Like the language is to push them into that group to isolate and label. And when that happens, this all comes back to group identity, which we've been to before. I was going to say something about that. Do you, I think we're going to run to this a lot. The loss of the individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you can't treat that person as an individual person with individual ideas yeah. and you can't, can't treat those individual ideas as individual ideas and you have to group the person and the ideas and the group all together under one ideology you can't you see it's just maybe it's just the way we think but i feel like (laughs) it's everywhere man it is it but see that's what the nature of collectivism is group identity and the nature of group identity is inherently dangerous and divisive Definitely. Oh, 100%. So any generalized statements over group identity, any accusations formed around group identity are an attack by placing that person under the label or group and and eliminating the possibility of individuality. And I was going to say, like, what's even worse is under group identity right if you were to attack one person for some specific thing they did everyone in that group is more than likely liable to also have to be attacked for the same reason well it doesn't even have to be real if the public comes to accept that a generalized notion about that group is true, then that group is guilty. It doesn't even have to be one person, man. It doesn't even have to be true or it doesn't even have to be something that one of the people did. Oh yeah. This is going to be a common theme, isn't it? Well, I mean, all right. So, so much is in this current culture. It's fairly commented on that. It's currently a divisive culture. That like yeah. people just can't seem to communicate. It was one of the things we discussed when we started releasing Candor Encounter. What do you, you know, mean? About how we're going to talk about anything and whatever we talk about, we're going to do it in the end. We're going to be brothers and love each other oh, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. this is like, it doesn't matter how much we disagree because we have the benefit of growing up with each other and we know each other's hearts, we don't have the ability to paint each other as the villain. Right. So we have this sort of special, not special in the sense of like unique in the world, but, but we have a connection that we are not willing to sacrifice the other person's morality for the benefit of our idea. Yeah. And because we're not willing to make that sacrifice, that means we have to be willing to listen. 
It's that trait that I feel like is just gone. I don't think it's gone among everyone, but it, that was a general. No, yeah, yeah. But it's definitely like I wish I saw it more. But of course, we exist in a social media world, and that kind of communication, this kind of communication that we are having right now in this room, I don't know if it's possible in a social media format. I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I don't do it with a whole lot of other people in general, anyway. Well, I mean, I don't either. But even my firm-held beliefs that come out on social media are are viewed as radical, bigoted, um, uninformed extremists by people that know me. Okay? So it is extremely easy to to misunderstand. And I think that goes for me yeah. too. It's easy for me to misunderstand them as well, but we sort of build up this idea in our head of like what they believe and why they believe it. And we make a ton of assumptions because they share something and we extrapolate and then we form this opinion about who they are. And then we label them. Off of ideas that we've had. Yeah, off of our idea, we label them. But this intimate talk here is it's not possible in that format. But I, I don't want to go off too far in the weeds with social media, but I um I mean that does play into Well I definitely yeah. Decisive it, language yeah, and, and decisive does. discourse. Well yeah, if if it provides a platform for any ideas to be thrown out and for people to accept. It provides an algorithm that feeds it. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, if persuasive and productive discourse can't be had, or like, you know, an intimate conversation can't be had in social media, then of course it's going to be divisive. Because it can't be anything but superficial. Right. Yeah. But I mean... Well, largely it can't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can have discussions yeah. and... Yeah, we're generalizing here, but... Yeah, you can have discussions with... People you know and people right. you're close to but online still. For the most part, it, because of the nature of social media, the internet in general, I guess, being able to speak to anyone on any part of the world and for any idea to be thrown in, not thrown in your face rudely, but for it to appear and start showing up. And you start to build an idea on just because you've seen it in the context that it had when you first saw it. There's a lot of extrapolating yeah. that you have to do on your own because you don't have a, a source to feed on. So you have the idea that what you saw is the fact for every case, which leads into group identity. And right. Anyway. But it's that overgeneralization that... Yeah. that they all want. It's that overgeneralization that feeds this entire system. Yeah. Right. This entire formula for divisive language, you know, is the less that we can make you. That sounds the less we can make you an individual. Well, I had trouble in that statement with the word we, because I was, that was a anonymous we you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> so that's where i yeah, was stopping yeah, yeah. myself there but the more we can make you form assumptions there's that we again overgeneralized we <laughs> anonymous we but but the more assumptions that you can make about the other person the more generalizations that you can make about the other person the more you can feel like you know the more you can disconnect from their individuality and attach yeah. them to a group. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a little bit alluring in the fact that it can make you feel complete in your knowledge. Like you, you've got the world figured out, you've got this culture figured out, but it's a false sense of knowledge, I think, but you're just operating off of false assumptions. That's yeah. all it is. It's a, it's a facade. But so like it goes for anything. It doesn't even have to be like political 
like somebody meets someone, some, we'll just use this for an example because we live in the South. Some Southern dude goes up to New York or somewhere out of the way, Idaho, like off in the distance. Uh, and he happens to be either a rude person or he's having a bad day and he stops at a gas station. No, I don't know if you know Southern people. Our, our base instinct is what, what's the word? Southern hospitality. That's a, the Southern rage also exists. Oh, Southern rage. (laughs) So like if you get someone on a bad day, it can be horrible. Yeah. Some people down here can be mean. Yeah. Uh, but you get them on a bad day and it's the first time this person has ever met a Southern person. They start to construct this idea, right? Yeah. It, it can go for anything. (laughs) It isn't just like, you know, the major groups that are mentioned every day now, like transgender, uh, African-Americans, anyone, to be honest. But it, anyone can be put into that generalized. Yeah. And it's not a good thing. Yeah, stereotypes. Yeah. You know, with how much we've talked about group identity, this is the first time we've mentioned the word stereotype. Yeah. Stereotype doesn't directly line up with but it's close with divisive language. But the correlation there, I think is unmistakable. I think when you're using group identity, which is the nature of divisive language, I was trying to think of how divisive language could be done without group identity. No, if you're trying to drive, like you said, drive a wedge between people, the easiest way to do it, I should say, because I don't think it's the only way I can't think of one right now, but, I'm sure it's not the only way group identity is probably the easiest. I think it's the only way to do it on a broad scale. Yeah. In a broad scale yeah. way. I mean, cause you have to make generalizations to make it happen over a large scale. Wedges or divisive language can happen on a, re- on a relational level. Like it can happen interfamily. It can happen in a marriage. It can happen in, in a parental relationship, but that's not the same thing as persuasive and divisive language. But I don't think that those personal relationships are really in the same category as this persuasive versus divisive no, language. Yeah. As far as like relationships go for divisive language to be used, it obviously has to be much stronger than a generalization of a, of a being. Yeah, I agree with that. We talked about the intent earlier a few times. And I feel like I think if you can understand the goal of the language, then you can understand what kind it is. Yeah. Does that make sense? Do you mean the goal of someone talking or like? Well, I guess goal and and intent are interchangeable. And how much does that matter in this environment that we're in? I guess it's a little hard though because you could unless you specifically ask how are you going to know unless they tell you I guess whether or not the the message they are delivering quote unquote is the one is one that they came up with themselves and have come to the conclusion of or was it something that's being parroted even if you explicitly asked, they would claim it is their own belief. I would think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And not only that, if you don't ask and you just assume. Then you're doing. Then you're yeah. generalizing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> then there's no escaping what you've just done in. In being part of the system. So I don't want to overgeneralize because we can talk in hypothetical, like abstract ideas all day long. And I tend to do this. Okay. Cause I'm an overthinker 
And so <laughs> I will talk and think myself in circles that may not actually exist in real life. Okay. <laughs> so these hypotheticals could always be so out there that they're not actually applicable to the human experience. So if we bring us back, how can we relate to real life? What is let's, let's find some divisive pros. language in real life? What is that? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, let's find some pros and cons for each one. Right? Give us some solid evidence rather than just poking at it and seeing what bounces back as we talk about it. We'll do the easy one first. The pros of persuasive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what are the pros of persuasive discourse? Healthy debate. What do you mean by healthy debate? I, I guess something similar to this bringing pros and cons of each one of two ideas. I guess what I mean by that question is what do you mean by healthy? Well, it's more level if you're not, or rather if you are addressing and thinking of the person you're talking to as another person and not part of this movement or part of this group, you know, I guess to define unhealthy debate would be aggressive. Yeah. So, so health, healthy, healthy as debate in, would be not healthy is sort of productive in a productive, way. That's the word. I like that. And Sean, you were addressing the pro that it allows for the acceptance of it, of the individual belief. Right. That and, and meeting yeah. that person on that level. Yeah. If you're giving them that same respect, I guess respect has, a lot I feel to like do it's it. easier, easier to communicate with them and communicate your ideas. Divisive discourse doesn't always inherently involve identity politics. Is that right? Well, I mean, that's what we were trying to get to earlier, and we sort of felt like I didn't know how else it couldn't. Right? That's sort of what we came to. In a general sense, it's very hard to not use identity politics to separate people. Right. It's just such an easy way. I don't know how you can't be divisive if you don't use groups. What are you dividing? That's true. That's a really good point, too. But when you're talking about divisiveness, it's like, you're positing the existence of a group just by being, just by using that language. Just, you see what yeah, I'm saying? Just by yeah. saying, I'm using divisive language means you are separating at least two people. Yeah, I mean, obviously you don't have a group. to acknowledge you're using yeah. divisive language. You're just doing it. But the fact of you doing it in whatever argument you make has to involve group characteristics or it can't be a divisive statement. That's why all of the divisive statements involve groups like race or gender, because that's why people consider those divisive because they drive a wedge between two groups. There's a big wedge coming down now with the vaccine and anti-vaxxers and vaxxers and, this moral battle that's going on in the country, you're seeing people feel like they have to pick sides, but there are also people out there saying, I'm not, I'm not against vaccine or for vaccine. Like, I don't care what you do. It's your body. Right. You know, but to view people as individuals who can make individual decisions is like, it's what we, fall back on yeah. right and that's where i really get confused when people take to divisive discourse and going so against other people and denouncing them for identity is they're individuals and the human experience like allows for so much this the reason this current issue is so prevalent is because they view it as a moral one Though I've never heard of this guy, so I'll say that. Uh, 
don't know if that's AI or AL. Aldous Huxley? Yeah, Aldous Huxley, yeah. Okay. The surest way to work up a crusade in favor of some good cause is to promise people they will have a chance of maltreating someone, to be able to destroy with good conscience, to be able to behave badly, and call your bad behavior righteous indignation. This is the height of psychological luxury, the most delicious of moral treats. Yeah. And then below it is an anti-vaxxer tweet. Rob Gill. I don't know who he is either, though. I plan on laughing at the anti-vaxxers that are forced to eat in the rain from the comfort of inside a restaurant. But what I get from it is having the moral high ground. Oh, yeah. Makes people feel more righteous or having the supposed moral high ground. But they... Moral superiority. Yeah. Terrible things are done in the name of moral superiority. Even by religion now. Terrible things are done in the name of righteousness. Yeah. Than any other reason. And I don't think religion is inherently flawed. I think humans are. I don't think the religion that I follow is inherently flawed. But I believe that humans are. Identity politics makes it easier to make yourself feel like you have the moral high ground. Especially if you have a large group behind you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, especially if it's a culturally popular idea. Yeah. Attach yourself to a large group and follow ideals. (sighs) Which ties right into virtue signaling. Because that's essentially what it is. Feedback loops. Yeah. Of people just supporting and supporting and supporting. Uh, Echo chambers. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes for both sides too. Yeah. It's hard when you want support. I'm I'm talking from the inside here because I end up in an echo chamber quite a bit with my Christian beliefs and with my conservative beliefs and things like that. I end up, you know, I, I recognize that. And you just, you see it and you, you try, but it's like, And I'm talking mostly online here, mm-hmm. um, but the 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 content you consume, even outside of social media, is you trust them more because they don't use group politics, so it feels more authentic. It seems more authentic. I think it is more authentic, but the consequence of that is you listen to like-minded people. That's what an echo chamber is. And, um, and then you do go online and then the algorithms just feed it to you. So it's constant, whatever you like and watch and it's just going to come right back. Yeah. And so it doesn't really matter where you go. Not to mention geographically where I live, I'm prone to being surrounded. uh, Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, you know, I'm I'm surrounded by people that follow the same pattern as well. And so it's not much escaping it. But I was going to mention how the moral high ground thing just played into being able to level with someone in a discussion. You know, when you're not being diversive. If we're going to come to a conclusion, we have to sort of define how we feel about divisive language. We talked about the pros and cons of... We can do it with the pros and cons. Is there a pro to divisive language? I think think we're in agreement here, but I want to ask the question anyway. No, yeah. I don't know if there is a way for it to be used in a productive way. Well, group identity isn't inherently negative. No, I understand that. We talked about that. But separating the groups, driving a wedge between them, like you said. Yeah. It's almost, I mean, like we said, if it has that intent. Yeah. It's just like. If you're driving a wedge between groups, then I think there's a problem. I I don't know. Yeah. In itself, it, it has a source of malice to begin with. Yeah. And it's like. If there's a way for it to be productive, I'm curious enough to find it. It's it, it's it feels almost like a saying. 
okay, so can being an evil person be good? Right. Like, that's what it feels like we're saying, right? Yeah. And we're saying, like, can forcefully dividing people be a good thing? It's like, I, I just, I feel yeah. like we're, I don't, it's, it's a known. Yeah, common sense kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it can be good. The term was created to identify, you know. The action of. The action yeah. of dividing groups. I assume anyway, or that's what it seems like, right? That's what I'm getting. So, yeah, it does sound like can being evil be good? Now, I do so it's think like, it's possible to mislabel, maybe. Mislabel something yeah. that isn't divisive yeah, yeah. as divisive. If you don't have the situation proper. But then, right, divisive is still the the evil, quote unquote. Yeah. Well, I mean, parroting is part of the problem, but parroting, you just don't know what you're doing. you Or it could seem that way to them, you know. This thing seems right uh, from my experiences. So... That's what they think, right? And then a lot of times with ideologies, you you buy in. Yeah you, they, yeah. you buy into the whole package. Yeah. You hear the one thing and you're like, that sounds good. Yeah. Embrace another, the theory. You hear another. That sounds good. You hear another. That sounds good. All right. What's the rest of your ideas? Let me hear them. All of them. All at once. Yeah. And you just kind of take them all and you're like, all right, I will sort this out later. And you absorb it all as truth. You don't absorb it as maybe. Right. You absorb it all as truth until proven otherwise, or you don't let it be challenged at all. And once you absorb that that group think, then it becomes part of your ideology and it doesn't be it doesn't become something that you can discuss. Mm-hmm. It doesn't become something that is worthy of challenge. I think that in the beginning, I didn't really realize where this was going to go. But I think it hit the point we have been touching on for our, I mean, the three episodes, well, six episodes now. Well, it takes all those topics and says, how are you talking about them? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Right you now. All of these things you guys are communicating about, how are you doing it? Yeah. And, and that's, it sort of bands them together. I know this. I know this post. The Ray Rick, Rock, Rick, Rick V. Ray Rick Rock. I said all the things except <laughs> the right one. I know this person that submitted to the topic. So, hey, Rick, by the way, <laughs> if you're listening. And uh, he understands this dynamic in the world, you know. And he sees the problem in the way that we communicate in this country. So I know what he was asking. I know what he was asking us to look at. And I believe we did. I would say in a meta way, in a sort of step away and in a sort of bird's eye way, we yeah. did. in a sort of psychoanalysis way we did, you know, we didn't tear apart what each party is doing specifically. And my goal is to understand when we leave this room, how I interact with others and how I can adjust that. Like this is practical, applicable information to me. And so I talk about it in a way I can relate to. No. Use. Yeah. That that was, I wouldn't bring it up to the counter episode, but after doing some studying, I'm sure these are things that are going to cross the mind from time to time while arguing or debating. Yeah. Because you'll question yourself whether you're what what you're doing. You'll You'll hit yourself with a, is this a persuasive? Or is it divisive or what's, what's my intent? Yeah. Yeah. Is my intent to crush? Yeah. Is my intent to crush them or is it under my heel? Yeah. 
and come out looking victorious or is it to communicate with them as a person? Yeah. And that's something we didn't really touch on. I mean, it, it's probably been mentioned here or there, but on a personal level, no. Well, yes, yes. But divisive, the goal of defeating versus persuading. I know that's not necessarily divisive, but it, yeah, but I think it's in that wheelhouse. It's in yeah. that you're not, your your goal isn't understanding or actualization of your idea. Well, in defeating someone, like you mentioned, there is a, a division separation. created between you and them. That's what yeah, I was good that's point. What I was going to mention. Yeah. It, it's separating you from the person. Oh, that you is a very with. good point. There, there is a animosity that is created by winning an argument with someone. Yeah. Or losing. Yeah. Or, losing or feeling or... like you lost. Yeah. I mean, I can see that happening. I could see that in my personal lives, in my disagreements where I'm just like, I think to myself, what happened to them? But that is me. That's me not wanting to confront the fact that I am not listening to them and I am not open to their idea and I am judging them based on the assumptions I've already made about them. And it may not be groupthink, but it is assumptions nonetheless. I know what you mean. But that's human. It is human, but it's also damaging. I'm not saying it's healthy. It's definitely. Please don't (laughs) mistake that. I'm not saying it's healthy, but it is human. Mm Mm-hmm. But I can look back on things that I've said and, and relationships that I've seen, relationships that I've had disintegrate based on it, at least partially my inability to stop trying to win. I got to say, this topic went a lot deeper than I thought it would. Me too. And there was a lot more... Uh... A lot more suited for us than I thought, too. Yeah, there was a little bit of hesitancy in the beginning, as we said, because you take these two terms that seem simplistic enough. But they're surprisingly philosophical. Or they aren't, and we just well, philosophize. Yeah. Yeah, right. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> we just put it through the candor encounter ringer, <laughs> and it come out philosophied. <laughs> It's like a filter. It's like a philosophy filter yeah. we put it through. Something comes in and we're like, mm, philosophy How does this time? interact with my, my <laughs> <Yeah>. humanity? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, uh, hey, we're discovering how how we look at the world. Right. And that's and it. I, I would argue easily, and we've known this for a while, all three of us are philosophers. We, we are definitely uh, for some reason we take things and we're like, how would that affect everyone's life? Yeah. As soon as we hear it, we go zoom out. Yeah. Zoom out, yeah, yeah. Zoom <laughs> right. Out, right. Zoom out. And then people are still talking. And we're like, zoom out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder be- as a listener, how much that resonates or how much that disconnects from you. That's a good question. Yeah. Most of the people I talk in depth with are kind of the same way. And I feel like there's a lot to be gained from trying to understand things that way. Uh, Yeah. It's definitely easier that way for me. Yeah. Viewing the world in a way where if you see a problem, you are either curious or you empathize with the fact that a this problem affects everyone on a personal level. And being able to see that or empathize with it, it creates a whole new level with every problem that you see. Do you think it's a, a reductionist view, though? Do you feel like, oh, well, we're, we're oversimplifying humanity, or do you feel like... We- I feel like it sounds like we oversimplify every problem. Uh-huh. I definitely feel it looks it sounds like we do. But I I think that 
I think that we are reducing it to moral rules. That's what we're doing. Yeah. And as we approach that, as we reduce that further and further, and we come every time back to the individual, Yeah. this is why we do this. Because we start the episode in on the topic, and then it starts to zoom Zoom out out and zoom out and zoom out. And then as we close into the end, we go individual rights. Yeah, (laughs) basically individual worth of the individual. Like, and I don't think that's by accident. I mean, it's not intentional. No. Yeah. But I don't think that's by coincidence. Yeah. Uh, I think it's because it's at the core. Yeah. And especially today when, you know, uh, divisiveness is so rampant in today's society. Yeah, yeah. Why do you explain that to me again? Well, I basically guess I mean since it's so prevalent and already kind of a brought up issue that one, it's in our heads and we think about it a little more daily or more regularly than some other things. It definitely becomes more apparent or you become. So you're like sensitive to issues that revolve around it. Yeah. Especially if it's, it's something you think is important like we do since it's being so challenged in America today. I think that's the case. I mean, it's so amazing to me to think back to the founding fathers and the way they wrote those documents. How lucky are we that, they recognized the core issue. They really went in there coming off of tyranny and was like, what if we just let people live? And then 100, 200 years later, people got power again. And then it just climbed its way up from there. I don't know. I'm afraid that it's disappearing, but. That's a whole nother topic for another day. So we, we didn't end up in a place where we could find anything remotely attractive about divisive language. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. If, if there's a way that it can be productive, like I said, it's definitely going to be a unique way. It's never, yeah. Yeah, you're not going to find like a. It's going to be like a one off. Yeah. It's going to be so situational. It'll be like. Yeah. Like a personal situation <laughs> like a, where you're like. Or totally trying. hypothetical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, if it exists, it's definitely unique and situational. Like you said. Like if someone is affected or like connected to something bad or negative like a dangerous idea yeah i guess you could use divisive thought as a brute force way of divisive discourse as a brute force way of sort of getting that person away from that even that's unhealthy right it doesn't promote yeah it doesn't promote healing or generational change exactly yeah if anything it's like the hatfields and mccoys all you're going to do is create you, more rift. Yes. You build more malice between yeah. that person yeah, and true. the other. Idea. I don't know. I Good say point. in my learned experience and my understanding, I don't know. I say no. Because I, I feel like when there is a time and I'm faced with a, an option and I feel like the evidence is hard enough for me to come down, I'm going to come down. I don't have to have past a 99.9% understanding. I can get there and go, right. Okay. It's a no. And until proven otherwise. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Until proven otherwise, it's a hard no. I say divisive language is harmful. And no matter which way you go about it. And if you don't view it that way, I think it, it's, it, it gives them too much room. The people who use it. That's a good way to put that. Yeah. It gives them too much moral ambiguity to to like get a foothold of some kind. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it allows them to plant that wedge without being noticed, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Because when you see divisiveness, you might go, I don't know if that's the intention. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when you land on the side and you say, no, that's divisive language. And when you have divisive language, that's a malicious intent. And I'm not, I'm not game for it. So. I ain't spreading your hate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So now we got to do the unfun thing. Now we got to. Is that a word? The unfun thing. I've used it before. I assume you mean signing off. Nah, nah. We're good. We got to look for. We got to go. (gasps) We have to go pour into negative information or negative. I don't know how to put that. We got to go pour into information that constantly references splitting people apart. Yeah. Yeah. It's just constant division for the next couple of weeks. Not a problem. But we do also need to look for maybe some cons out of the um, persuasive persuasive. persuasive side. I don't know how to find that. That's going to be a little tricky for me. I think that's going to be easier than finding a a good way way for uh, divisiveness to be used. I definitely think it'll be easier to find. Did we ever try to tackle that? The... Can we think of an example of persuasive? I don't want to go back right here as we end this, but no, we didn't. But I, I, I mean, I, I'm not gonna. I can't think of any right now. That you're talking about the cons of persuasive. Yes. Yeah, we. I don't think we did. We were jumping tangents after. <laughs> <laughs> but if I guess you, we, if you don't hear the jumps from tangents, there were several. All right, so we're all black and white today, and <laughs> persuasive's good. Divisive's bad. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Definitely. We're not. there. Well, guys, we're going to wrap this up. We are tired. Very. It's all our own doing <laughs> and I, our own tangents. We we chose to sit here and talk for five hours. Yeah, yeah. we made the bed. We'll lay in it. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> but we love spending time together. We love being able to share it with you guys. We hope you come back on the counter episode and let's talk some more about divisive language. Let's talk some more about um, persuasive language and what those mean and which is good, which is bad and why. And I'm going to let these guys carry us out. Well, if any of you uh, listening at home have a a topic you want to submit or you think that would be pretty good for us to, to bounce around. You can go to uh, candorencounter.com slash submit. Submit your topic there. We would really appreciate it. And you can submit anything. I mean, it might not be perfect for us, but we love any contribution. Most of any submission that uh, gets submitted, we do at least look into a little bit. Uh, may not even be on the show, but we're, we're a curious bunch. Right, we try to kick the ball around as much as we can. Yeah, we really enjoy just going back and forth. And sometimes it doesn't even matter to us what it is. Yeah. And we're just glad to be able to do it. And we don't have any hesitancy between starting. The only time we hesitate to take a topic forward, the only reason we hesitate sometimes is because we... um we care about what you listen to and we care that it is entertaining. And, and although everything that we say on the show is candid and unscripted, we just can't give you garbage. And we know it. We can't give you a five hour. We respect you enough not to. Right. And, um, and we love you for listening. And we're so glad that you honor us with your time. We love you as a human being. We hope you come back. We want to share this again with you as we learn more. So until next time, adios. It's been a pleasure. Sometimes. Welcome to Chick-fil-A. What's Popeye's favorite chicken? What?
<laughs> I just said it wrong. <laughs> I'm so confused. Did you mean spinach? I'm so no. confused. What, like, what's what's spinach? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen this? What is happening right now? <laughs> 